welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello, and welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. I'm Jason Pereira, your host. Today, I have Keith Foote with me, CEO of Ralph Moss Insurance. And what we're going to talk about today is employee benefits plans, the different components of them, and some tips on basically how you can contain cost. And with that, here's my interview with Keith. Hello, Keith. Hi, Jason. Good to see you. Keith, good to have you in. So thank you for coming in and taking the time. Before we get started on today's topic of group insurance, let's just uh, tell everybody who it is you are and what it is you do. What do I do? I wear many hats. Um, <laughs> yes, you do. You know, I, I was once told that, uh, what is your business? What business are you really in? So I always told people, I'm in, the, I'm in the business of employee benefits. That's pretty boring. So what we intend to say is that we're in the business of helping employers provide financial security to their employees in times of need. So that begs the question from you. How do you do that? What is that? Yeah, so what is that? Absolutely. Exactly. Way, way so, to feed me the question. <laughs> so that's, the, that's, that's my elevator speech, for example, yes. is that we provide financial security to employees, assisting employers at time of need. Okay. Excellent. So basically, we're going to be talking about the group benefit space, which, which provides that. So let's talk about you know, the why people do this, because many listeners, of course, may already have plans in place or may be considering it. So first off, the reasons we do this are pretty straightforward, but let's, let's, let's hear from you. Okay. Well, there's, there's many reasons. Unlike the US, who, whose benefits and healthcare system is totally different. In mm -hmm. Canada, most of our, our healthcare is covered by the government. We're pretty, yes. we're pretty lucky that way. So the group employee benefits, the traditional benefits that you think of, the life, the health, the dental, mm -hmm. the accidental, the death and Amendment and disability, they really round out the government offerings because we have mm. CPP and we have unemployment yep. insurance. So we're rounding out those things that the government doesn't cover. So in the case of, of life insurance, there's a death benefit under CPP. Yep. It's nowhere near enough to Absolutely cover anything. Not. So uh, the group life insurance would cover off that portion of it. Yeah. I mean, the big one, the biggest one always is is two things. Well, disability one, and then also drug plans. I mean, there's discussion of a natural, having a national pharmacare program, but we're, <laughs> we'll see if that ever happens. But yeah, I mean, you see some of the cost of medication, they're pretty pretty astounding. And that's not going to abate, unfortunately, with, with biologics coming in oh, and, no. and the high cost of drugs and medications. Well, there's two things to that. We've jumped the gun from life and AD&D and disability straight to health, yep. which is which is by far is the biggest, biggest mover for people, but it's also the biggest cost driver in your health plans today, in your, your group benefits plans today. And it's So we'll, we'll come to that. We're going to go down one, one piece at a time. But so from an employer standpoint, of course, we're providing a solid benefit. We're also doing so in a tax efficient manner because end of the day, if you pay a highly paid employee another dollar of income, they're going to lose 40, 50, 53%, depending on the province they're in, to taxes. Whereas something like this, the entire group basically can benefit to, the, to a larger degree than they would if you were to pay that dollar. 100%, right? 100%. Yeah. yeah, I mean, any dollar the employer pays out in mm -hmm. benefits is a total okay. write-off to the company. Exactly. And the employee gets the benefit tax-free, tax with yeah. the exception of life insurance, where there is a tax on the premium as a yeah. taxable benefit. And uh, with disability, depending who pays the premium, then the benefit is is, is taxable. Which we're definitely going to talk about that there, because I hear so many misguided opinions on that one. But so before going further, so I mean, in the traditional terms, we always talk about attracting, retaining, and rewarding. So before we get started on that, we're going to talk about, I want you to give me a ballpark. So someone wants to come to you with, for a new group and says they want to kind of start off in a new group. What kind of cost are they looking at as a percentage of, of salary, of, of, of payroll? Well, it, de it depends who yeah. you ask. I believe it was uh, Robert Haft. They came out with a survey where they said that uh, benefits is 35% of payroll. 
Mm-hmm. That was their, their survey. But that encompassed CPP, EI, yeah. the whole gamut of including employee benefits. Which in their own right are like 5% plus, right? Yeah. Like, But our own our own surveys of our own client base, et cetera, that we've done over the, I've been in business for over 35 years, we see it averaging about 10% of payroll. What does that mean in real dollars to an employer? If he comes to us and says, I want to put a plan in, what's it going to cost? Well, Every group is different, you have different demographics, different industries, different number of employees on the plan. But as a ballpark figure, you can estimate that benefit program with life, accidental death, dismemberment, some form of disability, some health, and some dental without any other ancillary benefits would be approximately three to $4,000 per employee per year, which yeah. is a good ballpark figure. And I've seen similar numbers of that in my own practice. So one of the things I want, one of the myths I want to dispel before we get started on a kind of a benefit by benefit analysis on this is the myth that this is kind of like people treat insurance like it's free money. And as the employer, if you've been through one renewal, you know it's not. End of the day, this is money to an insurance company is going to pay for all these benefits, take the taxes and the associated fees for managing all this. But really, I mean, they're hoping to keep some of this, right? And the term for that's called what? A target loss ratio, target right? Loss ratio, yes. So what are we looking right. at? You know, small groups versus large groups. What kind of target loss ratio can they be looking at? That's really a difficult, difficult one to question, answer yeah. because every insurer has their own expense factors. Yes. And again, you're talking about fully insured plans. Well, there mm-hmm. are plans where there's no insurance company involved. Correct. Administrative, sub- yeah. administrative services only, or yeah. AKA ASO. Which we'll talk about. It's another animal. The end. So yep. it's, not, it's not as clear cut as that, but our job as a consultant is to allow the insurance company to make money yep. because if they don't make any money, we don't have anyone to insure our clients or mm-hmm. insure the companies. But our job is to let them make money, but to make sure that they're not gouging at yeah. the back end and that the plan is priced correctly. So to put that into context, if you have a bad year on your health and dental plan and the insurer comes to you with an increase of 20% or 15% or 10%, we go back and we do a complete analysis of all the medications and drugs that have been paid out through that plan, look at that, and then come back with a counter offer to the carrier. What the carrier is trying to do is that if they did not meet their target loss ratio, so let's say, for example, your, their loss ratio is 82%. Means, so they're trying to hold on to 18 cents on the dollar. For every dollar that you pay yep. in premium, they want to pay out no more than 82 cents on a claim. Yeah, and this, so they keep 18. Exactly. And, part, and to be fair, part of that is also taxes associated taxes, with the premium fees, taxes, expenses, fees, expenses. Everything. So this is not 18 points to the bottom line of the dividend. Exactly. Right? Yep. It's their expense factors, yep. right? So if they don't meet that, what's on a fully insured plan we're talking about now, yep. which is pure insurance, when they come into with a renewal, they're not trying to recoup what they lost. All they're doing is taking a look at your experience. You claimed $100,000, yeah. but we only collected 98000 in premium. They're adding on inflation trend. Yeah. On health right now, it's about 11.2%. On dentals, running about 9%. They're adding on, uh, they're looking at the utilization. What's the increase in claims? What's the increase yeah. in your employee population? Trying to figure out the trends. The trends. And they're projecting yeah. that in the next 12 months, if your claims stay the same person per head with those factors added onto it, that they would need 115000 in premium to mm-hmm. cover off those same 100000 yeah. in claims. So At the end of the day, all they're trying to do is make sure. And I always, when I talk to clients about this, I say, look, the honest truth is, is that in a world with time machines, this would be perfect because they would know what you would spend, travel back in time and price accordingly with their amount over. But this is why renewals happen. Renewals happen because, you know, we're making, they make the best guess they possibly can and then they adjust. But they also, you know, let's be honest, they come back with, with price increases that sometimes aren't fully justifiable, at least in my eyes. Like we can, yeah. we can, we, we go back and negotiate these things, right? And it's very important you have an agent sitting in the middle doing that for it because otherwise that can just compound Well, that's over part time. of our job. I mean, I mean, the carriers also have very, modalities of doing a calculation or renewal calculation, depending on the size of the group. Uh, Like, for example, a group of 10 lives is not going to have the same modality as a group of 100 lives. 10 lives, they will take your group and pool it with 
all the other groups of 10 lives look at the experience of the claims of the whole block and rate you according to that. So although your claims may be way below the TLR, they may have paid out 60 cents yeah. on a dollar, yeah. but then they look at the whole group of five or six or 8,000 or 10,000 lives, yeah. You're now blended in with that. So you get an increase that really is not attributable yeah. to your own claims. So yeah, the people don't realize is almost like there's levels of there's actually levels of insurance on the insurance, right? Exactly. Like if you go beyond a certain threshold of claims, that goes towards it's a charge towards the giant group, not just your not just your group. As you said, you're being pooled in together. So the good thing is is that yeah, if you have a terrible, terrible year you're, and you're double what you should be, it's you're not gonna be double on the increase. It's, it's, it's a form of rate stabilization. Yeah. Uh, so but again, our job as consultants to look at that that increase and say, okay, we know that Jason, your group this year. <laughs> Year, your claims were, were, were well within the target. You should yeah. not be. Get, if you were standing alone, you would not be getting that kind of an increase. We then go back sure. and negotiate that back with the carrier. And again, that also looks to our block of business with the carrier and yeah. our relationships with the carriers. And that behooves you as a client to say, okay, if I go directly, I can go direct as a client to Great West Life, Sun Life, Manual Life, any yeah. of the companies, and buy the benefits directly. But when renewals come back, like you don't know what's what. Exactly. There's no right. if if, if the, so when the group rep comes to you and says, okay, uh, Jason. You've been with us now for two years. Your increase is twenty six percent. You have no way whether yeah. many lives rates are valued in the market. Short of getting on the phone and calling them all up, as opposed to having an agent do that exactly. for you and negotiate for you, and then yeah. shop the market when it's necessary. Yeah. So okay. So let's go through. You know, one of the big concerns amongst amongst um, clients, of course, and you just kind of hit on one was was cost containment, right? Like you don't want these things getting. You know, we hear trend rates in the double digits. Like no one wants to be paying double digit increases on what's already ten percent of their salary on a regular basis, right? That got compounds very quickly. So part of cost containment is not just usage, but how you design these plans. So I want to, we're going to keep that in mind as we go benefit by benefit, but we're going to go benefit by benefit and we're going to explain what it is, how much you can expect to get coverage for or what your options are. And then, you know, is this enough for your clients or for your employee? Like, should the focus be there? And we'll, we'll just kind of add some, some color around that. So let's start off with the most basic one, life insurance. So everybody's entitled to life insurance and it's a mandatory benefit under group plans, correct? Correct. Yes. If, if you put a group plan in, you usually cannot put in just health and dental. The yeah. carrier looks for the benefits where they can make some money as well. Absolutely. Let's be honest, right? And they, they kind of look at that spread of risk. So most but then again, plan- I mean, at the same time, employees appreciate the fact they have life insurance. At work. Yes, but especially yeah. if they don't have anything else. I yeah. mean, it's usually guaranteed issue. There's yep. no medical questionnaires. So if up you've to got, a point. Up yeah. to a point. So if you've got an employee who's sick and couldn't get coverage by himself, being part of the group, he can get some, it will be minimal coverage. But it's something. But it's something. And traditionally, you'll see, depending on the type of class, I, mean, I use the word class very loosely. Class not as in class structure, as uh, uppity uppity, <laughs> yeah. but class being executive level. You know what's interesting? Office. They've done surveys on millennials uh, when it comes to benefits, and the term class plays so poorly with them that I mean, you're seeing a lot of the startups in, in the space start to refer to them around other things like hives and whatever else. It's kind right. of, it's amusing. So, yeah. but, but insurance, we still use the word, you know, what classific- yeah. classification is what it's short for. Yes. So you'd have the executive level, one classification, maybe the office yeah. staff, a, cl- yeah. a classification B, a warehouse classification all different, C. They can and all so have on. different levels of benefit. Exactly. So you'll see traditionally, usually at the, the, the classification of executive levels would have higher life insurance yeah. amounts, maybe two, three times salary, yeah. annual salary. Yeah. But we're typically looking, you know, the options are typically flat sums. Flat so sums, like yeah. five, 25, 50, 100. Or multiples of, of income. Of income, correct. Right. And typically, what's the what's the biggest we typically see on something like this? Like half a million? I don't think I've seen bigger than yeah, that. Yeah, usually on that. life. Yeah, I mean, we have some groups. We, we've got one, a couple of groups that uh, there's only uh, 10 employees, and they have a half a million of life insurance yeah. on the executive level, which is pretty rare. Usually, yeah. you see about 200,000 will be the cap. When you get into companies with uh, two, three, 400 yeah. lives, then you see the higher maximums available. Again, it's because of the spread of risk. Absolutely. And on top of that, I mean, the pricing on this is also due not only, it's, based, it's largely based on a 
the average age of the group, right? So that younger groups can afford larger ones at lower cost, whereas older groups, you know, it's the opposite. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> actually, it's a, it's a blend, actually. Yeah, it's, it's a blend, a blend. Of, of the mix of male and female. Yes, that too. Gender uh, also matters. Gender matters. And also the age bands that they fall into. Yep. That's how they calculate the rates based on yep. the mortality now, tables. Now, I will say I do have a mixed, um, I do have a, a mixed opinion on this being an individual financial planner because when I hear, oh, I already have a benefit at work, it's like, well, first of all, work didn't check on your life to see is there sufficient insurance in place, right? So I always encourage, you know, more often than not, we don't encourage people to rely on this sort of thing. Also, let's face it, these things can change. They can change employers. Like these, these benefits don't follow them. So this is not, I would say in most cases, this is not a full replacement for standalone life. This is, especially when they're younger, it's a great benefit to have because they're obvious, odds are they're not going to go out and get it elsewhere. But more often than not, people need well beyond what's what's offered on a basic life policy at, um, at an insurance company, through a group plan. And oftentimes this is also offered to the spouse as well as a spousal benefit. Correct, yeah. correct. You know, the thing with group insurance, life insurance to remember is that it's not portable. No, when the exactly. employee leaves, if he's got 100,000 of coverage and he leaves the company, it's gone. There is a conversion option in all group policies. Yeah, but they may where, be subject to health. Where you can convert that policy to an individual policy at yeah. the then going rates. Which are um, not which necessarily are, great. Depending, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm leaving the company at the age of 55, uh, term rates for someone age 55. Well, compare that to the average uh, age of the company being, say, 30-something, right? Now you're paying a much higher rate. And there again, there's also caps on how much they'll issue to you without a health without Exactly. Plus that now I'm paying the premium personally, which is out of the tax yeah, dollars. Exactly. So yeah, so the lawful also offer spousal benefits, like I said, typically a flat sum usually and also sum. child's benefits, but those are usually pretty small, like 5,000. Yeah, you usually yeah. see it's a it's called a dependent life benefit and yes. it's an adjunct so to the, the employee life. And it's usually a 5,000 child, 10,000 spouse. Yeah. We've seen it as low as 2,500 child, 5,000 spouse. It's really a nominal amount. It's usually it's in the like range final, of final expenses $2.36 yeah. a month is the usually average premium you send yeah. something like that. It's, so an employer would it's just a, basically- It's a giveaway. Yeah, so it's a giveaway. It's kind of a final expenses. Unfortunately, someone passed away. Here's some money to deal with those expenses. Right. Um, now, what you can do though, a lot of plans are also what's called optional life. Yes, yeah, so exactly. Um, so. Which is the employee can buy up the life insurance themselves and pay it through payroll deduction, okay? Now, again, depending on the company you're purchasing it from, some of those are portable. We have mm -hmm. a product for our clients, yeah. which it's optional life, payroll deducted, but if they leave the employer, they then take that coverage with them through to age 65 and pay the premium annually at the same rates as if they were still part of the group. Yeah, but and like I said, this is those are all wonderful when they can leave. But again, we can't, you know, whenever doing planning for people, first of all, employers, you have to offer this benefit. Secondly, it's a good thing to offer your employees, right? Especially helps take, you know, the good thing, when I say, one of the things I talk about when it comes to benefits is it's being a little bit paternalistic, quite honestly. You're doing things that maybe they're not going to be diligent enough to do themselves and they'll be thankful when they're there. So life is one of those things. They may not take the time to go out and get the proper life insurance, but at least they have something through work. But you find you use the word paternalistic. That's when we sit down with a prospect or a new client, even our, our existing clients every year, we ask them, what's their corporate culture? What's the reason for putting benefits yeah. plan in? Do they want to be paternalistic and take care of their employees? Or they want them to stop complaining. Or they just want to, <laughs> do they just want to be able to say- Check we, the box. Do they just want to say, we have an employee benefits plan? Yeah. Totally. So depending on your reason, yeah. that's going to drive the plan design and the pricing. I typically encourage them to be paternalistic <laughs> because then you design a plan in the best interest of the longevity of the, of the, of the employee. Anyway, that's just another point. So let's move on to the next benefit, accidental death and dismemberment. So describe how that works. That one's really, again, a giveaway. That will pay 
We used to call it a double indemnity. So if you die from an accident and you have a life insurance of 100,000, then the accidental death and dismemberment is also 100,000. Mm -hmm. So you would then, not you, but your beneficiary would get yeah. 200,000. It's much cheaper than the life it's, insurance. It's usually in the range of uh, two, three, four, five cents per thousand of coverage. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I see this type of policy sold on a standalone basis a lot when for, around travel. And I'll see clients like buy this specifically because, oh, I'm flying. It's like, yeah, I know you're afraid of dying while you're flying, but the probability of someone dying in an accident, an accident. is infinitely smaller than the probability of dying to health. And I know we don't like to think that way, but the reality is because oh, we knew someone who died in a car accident or whatever it was, not never in a plane one, but a car accident. But the reality is, is that this is when you, we want to see how, how low the odds of it happening are. Look at the difference in price between AD&D and life. Okay for the exact same benefit. It's like fivefold or something like yeah. that. It's, that's the reason the actuaries yeah. know the numbers. They look at these, oh, they yeah. work hard on those tables. And oh, that's yeah. why the AD&D rates are so low. Yeah. Because the the Because the, the, the odds, the, of, the odds of dying in an accident yeah. are fairly, fairly, fairly low. Yeah. And the dismemberment portion of that benefit, because it's an accidental death and, and dismemberment, yeah. let's not forget that, that pays a portion of the face amount, say in this case, 100,000, it pays a portion depending yep. on the loss. So the loss of, a, of your pinky may be 5% uh, yep. of the face amount. A loss of an eye may pay out 70%. Yep. It depends on the severity of the yes. loss. Which can be valuable because it could be one-time costs associated with getting that treated. I morbidly remember those pamphlets being handed out when I was in school to take to the parents. And it's just like, really, if I lose an arm, I get that kind of money? It doesn't seem like enough. I'm only a small kid, but even I know that. Anyway, let's move on. So I'm going to move on to what I consider the single most important benefit in the benefits plan, which is disability. And the reason I say that is because for the average person, especially younger ones, the most valuable asset they have is their ability to continue to earn an income. And without that, you're in trouble. And disability typically takes the form of covering you after 120 days is typically what we end up doing yes. after EI stops paying. And depending on the plan can be two, five, two years, five years, or to age 65, 65 being the most common. So let's talk about what some of the key points around that are. So one of the big ones is who pays for it? Well, disability, no one thinks that we're going to become disabled. And, and, Yet and the I, odds state the opposite. Like, like even the, the was it between 25% to 33% will experience disability at some point in their lifetime. And I, and I agree with you when you say it's the most important benefit. If yeah. you, However, if you ask any employee, they, most care of, less. they will say, oh, the health plan, because that's where they see the dollars coming back in their pocket yeah. every time they go to the drugstore. And what, the problem yeah. is, I'll tell you, when I sit down and try to, you know, when I see a plan that already doesn't have a DI plan and the employer's not willing to pay for it, I say, you should really make the employees pay for it. The pushback they give, yeah. because they they only see the dollars out. Well, the thing with the disability program is that God forbid you were disabled today at the age th age of 30. Yep. You could not work for the next 35 years. How do you put food on your table? The disability program will not cover and um, replace your 100% of your salary. Well, and for the record, right? the Ontario Disability Support Benefit will only pay you a grand total of about 14,000 $14, a year. Yeah. Right, and then CPP disability as well is what another thousand if on you, top. If, if you can, can qualify, get it, if, if you, you qualify, qualify for it, it's much stricter harder yeah. to get CPP. Absolutely. So there's really not there's a government cushion there. There's not much at one. Not much. Honestly. No. And in fact, the disability programs all have what's called an eighty five percent all source limitation. The reason behind that. For example, so if I have- They'll make you richer when you're when you're disabled versus- They don't want you earning more money yeah. sitting at home doing nothing. So yeah. they will cut you back. So disability will give you, the general thing we normally see is two thirds of your income yes. to a max of 5,000 yeah. or 6,000 a month. Now, so the challenge here though, is that those caps, I mean, before they, I mean, I'm seeing caps now up to 10,000 a month, I believe in some yes. cases. Yeah. So, and that's more, I don't know when that started to happen, but I remember seeing them 20 years ago. But the big issue here is that disability is actually, we'll call it almost quote unquote, unquote discriminatory against uh, higher income earners because two thirds of your income up to five, up to five or $10,000 
is great for most people. But if someone is a highly paid executive earning multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars and the maximum you could give them is 120 grand, that could be a fraction of their, of of their, their, true, earnings. their true earnings, yes. right? And that's a massive dip in income. So we often put in place top-ups, uh, individual policies for, for clients on um, who are high income earners well beyond what they have at work. Now, that being said, so the employer versus employee, let's go back to who's paying for it again, because there's, okay. an, imp there's the, an impact here. Yes, there's, there's two schools of thought. The premiums are not cheap for disability. Mm -hmm. Again, depending on your age and the demographics of the group, you can see someone with a 5,000 a month uh, disability benefit may be paying 80 to 90 bucks a month off their paycheck if they're paying it themselves. The employees push back. Why am I paying $90 a month for disability? Yeah. What they don't realize is if their benefit is 5,000 a month, if they're paying the $90 a month, premium when they go if they do go on cover they get the full 5000 a month yes tax free tax free if the employer pays the premium okay when they get that 5000 a month even a portion of even it. A, any poor, even one penny yeah. towards the premium when they get that 5000 a month benefit it will be 100% taxable yeah. at whatever and, the rate and is. Um, I, know, I know about you, but when I'm, if I ever become disabled, I want to make sure it was as much after-tax income as possible. Yeah. So therefore, tax-free works out a lot better. Yeah. So we usually advise employers to have the employee pay the premium. That yeah. way, the benefit is tax-free. And what the employer can do is use that money that would have that they would have used to pay the LTD premium to beef up some of the other benefits. Maybe increase the life insurance coverage. Or maybe mm -hmm. put in some critical illness. So, um, And that's the next one. Let's move on to critical illness. So critical illness differs, now this confuses people because it differs from disability in that the disability's definition is you cannot work. You medically cannot work. Whereas critical illness, the definition is you have had this condition and, and survived and 30, survive 30, 30, 30 days. days. So yeah, the biggest culprits here are cancer, open heart surgery, heart attack, stroke, and surprisingly, MS is like 1% of claims, but every, and then they'll cover, depending on the plan, it'll cover like another 20 conditions or something like that, including Correct. blindness and whatever. But those are really small. I mean, when you look at all the claims on this, 66% are cancer, but it's a lump sum. Now, what kind of lump sums are we looking at in terms of a payout on these? It's not very high. Again, it's no. on a group basis. It's yeah. very difficult to get usually, but usually you see 25 to 50,000 as a lump sum payout. Which isn't bad it's because not bad when you look at some studies, you know, the out-of-pocket cost of recovering from cancer in say Ontario, is not far from that number over yeah. the course of two years. Yeah, and bear in mind, it doesn't preclude you from still claiming WI, EI, yeah. LTD, it's it's a separate payout. Yeah, but that being said, here's the interesting thing, and people get confused about this. Well, why do I need both? Well, there's plenty of people who have a heart attack and get an increased cost of living, but go back to work inside of 120 before days. The, before the, the 120 days, exactly. exactly. So they may get a, they may get zero dollars from disability because they were back at work, but they now have an increased cost of living. So that's really what it's there for. It's to give you help you cover that cost. I would argue too, especially younger people, that's insufficient. We like to see amounts in the hundred thousand two fifty range, but it's it's better than nothing, quite honestly. Again. Yeah. And some of these benefits, it's like, you know what? Life doesn't fit, the life amount is not looking at your life and making sure it's the right amount. But this is to see the critical and it's the same thing. This ability probably is okay, but may not. But you always have to make sure that the employees, first off, as an employer, this is great you're providing this, but the employees need to make sure not only is it adequate to fit their lives, and if it's not, they need to create an adjunct. Yeah, so, you're essentially just putting a base plan in to cover, to cover the employee. There'll be something there. You can't cover yeah. off. It's the old 80-20 rule. Absolutely. Right? You're gonna, you're, you know, trying to put something in that's going to please the masses as exactly. best it can, and there's always going to be someone who falls through the cracks, so it's not enough. Exactly. And that's when the individual advisor comes in. Absolutely. And, and part of our job, my shop is strictly group benefits. That's what we do for the last, yeah. uh, since 1976. So our part of our job when we go into renewals or we look at the plan designs and we, we look to say, okay, well, these particular employees, the, the executives or this office class of employee, they need to have an individual agent come in and speak to them. 
and we will then call the agent or the sub-agent who is on that case and say, look, they've got six employees who need some top-up going. And, yep, and, and, absolutely. Because we don't service the individual that well. No. That's not well, what that's, that's not what group is designed for. Exactly. It's designed, designed for, like you said, the 80-20 rule, yep. not the exceptional cases. So dental, moving on to one of the things that people think is the most important benefit they could have here. And there's an old joke about bad dental I heard for years is that it, it's not really insurance. It's basically money in, money out. It's cash flow. It's, it's cash, cash flow, flow right? Because basically most, the vast majority of people go to the dentist. The dentists know how much money they can take out of these things. And it literally is money in, take off the fees and taxes, money out. It's, it's a cash flow benefit. Yeah. The argument is the only reason it's in there is because unions argued for it back in the day. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that and a few other benefits too on the healthcare plan. Fair enough. So um, let's, let's talk about dental specifically first though. So yeah. typically there's three tiers of benefits. So let's go through what all those three are. Okay. So you've got, you've got your basic dental, yeah. right? Which will be your x-rays, your examinations, et cetera. And then there's level two, which would cover fillings and so on. And then you go on to level three and four, which would be your crowns, your bridges, your orthodontia, the more expensive items. And now one of the key terms we're going to talk about here is going to be called co-insurance and the other one's going to be deductibles, right? So right. deductible is pretty straightforward. You have to pay a certain amount every time, every year before the rest of it's covered. Co-insurance is that the employee's on the hook for a percentage of the total expense. Right? Correct. And these are designed to contain cost or share some of the risk with the employee, correct? It, yeah. It's, it's also put in there to mold consumer spending. The yes. way that we utilize the plans. Don't just go to the single most expensive option every time. Exactly. And it also helps to reduce the premiums. So the difference is deductible. Usually you would see a deductible of a 50 single and 100 family. So mm -hmm. in other words, if you're, if you're single, you go to the dentist, the first $50 in any one year, yep. whether it's a calendar year or policy year, is out of your pocket. If you're a family, it's $100 per family. We are seeing these deductibles increase to mm -hmm. 100 and 200 well, they're not, they're not correlated to inflation, right? Like, so the this problem. is the problem, right? So they're, they're sticky. This is one of the reasons why I always preferred co-insurance amounts because, you know, if the benefit, the cost goes up, well, so does the other person, so does the out-of-pocket cost. So which one works better, in your opinion? <laughs> I have my opinion. But, I, I, uh, I, I personally believe that co-insurance works better. The co-insurance for the uninitiated is where if you go to the dentist yep. and your claim is $100, if you have an 80% co-insurance, it means that the insurance company will only pay back $80 out of the 100. You're on the hook for the other 20. Yep. So doctor that, says that, hey, you could do this optional thing. You stop and think about, wait a minute, that's a thousand bucks, 200 bucks out of my pocket. Maybe I, I do don't it. want the optional thing. Yeah. Also, what happens is the employees that use the plan are paying a portion of it. Yeah. If you never use the plan or that portion of the plan, then you don't exactly. pay anything. So it's it's a bit more fair in equality in the way that it spreads the risk. And it does do quite a bit to reduce the premiums. But in fairness, I mean, like, and this is the thing with most group plans, the vast majority of benefits are consumed or the, or the dollars spent are consumed by a smaller percentage of the overall group, right? Again, like, the 80-20 80, 80, rule. 80-20 right? 80% of the money goes to 20% of it's, people. It's, but that's, you can't that's get away from that. No. So the reason I bring this up is because dental is the first of these benefits where this is an impact, right? We have to make a decision around that. So dental will come, you know, we can design whatever coinsurance or deductible amount we want, but typically you're going to see, so coinsurance is between 50 to zero, right? Right. We usually, the average we see is an 80% coinsurance. Yeah. The 50 other, doesn't really feel like a benefit, does no, it's it? Not a no, benefit. So it's I always talk benefit. to people about the psychology of this, the, right? The other thing that you'll see some companies do yeah. is that they will give 100% coinsurance. Yes. Nil deductible. Yeah. But have the employee pay some of the premium. See, I'm not a big fan of that. So they could oh. do a 50-50 split on yeah. the premium. I'm not a fan of that because I see that, you know, to me, seeing that come off a paycheck every month is a reminder that you need to spend it. It's I, a school of thought again, yeah, right? That's they, a school but of, it is an option. We, we see that is. less and less. Well, um, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I find that when I when I go in to cases, to me, that reeks of the agent was trying to sell the biggest policy he possibly could because, oh, I can only afford X. Well, hmm, you can, you can only afford that. But if we put 50% of it onto the employees, 
100% benefits, the biggest possible premium, I get the biggest possible comp. So I'll tell you, well, at least you can guess none of my policies have, <laughs> have zero coinsurance. No. So, but this impacts dental a different way, right? Because the three different tiers, they all have their own kind of maximums, maximums as well. Maximums, exactly. Right? What you'll usually see is that level one and two may have a, a combined maximum of say $1,500 per person per year. And then when you get to major, that's usually a reimbursement of only could be a reimbursement of 50%. And then when you get to orthodontia, it's usually a lifetime max of maybe 3,000 or 5,000. But still subject to like a 50% typically. Still subject to a deductible. And also, it usually only covers children up to the age of 19. Yeah. Very rarely is it for adults. And for yeah, no, adults who want, uh, who want braces are not getting Invi- it. Invisalign. Invisalign yeah, <laughs> or Smile Direct Club. But see, yeah, but dental is strictly dollars in, dollars out. And the yeah. problem with dental is, well, one said the problem, one of the issues is that the fee guy goes up every year. The dental association dictates what the fees will be. Yeah. So you can't go to your dentist and negotiate the fees. No. Okay. So what some plans will do. Unless you're paying out of pocket, then it's a different story. Different but that's story, different. <laughs> but then you're not using your plan. No. So what some plans will do, another another tactic to, re, to reduce your costs is to what we call lag the fee guide. So right now, my plan where we work, our plan is on the, the 2019 fee guide. Okay. So if I was to say to our broker, which is myself, the Reno, hmm, the Reno is kind of high. What if we lag the fee guide by three years? Right. Let's go back and use the 2016 fee guide. Most will pay on a benefit. It was a number from three years ago. Right. Which could be 60% less yeah. than now. So it's a way of shifting some of the costs back to the employee. So now I'm getting 80% of the 29 fee guide. If I like the fee guide, I'm going to 80% yeah. of the 2016 and, and fee guide, the which was 6% less. And this, the, the real question is, does the dentist actually charge the this full This is amount, the thing. The dentist- Because right? they, they know this is this game, right? You know, the, dentals, the dentists want to make as much money and they come with their fee guide. The insurance companies want to keep this under control. So it's like, okay, you can come up with that price, but if these people opted to use the lower one, it's your choice as to whether you want to charge them out of pocket it, or not. 100%. And that's, yeah. what, and that's what happens. Unfortunately, when you have un- indirect payer systems like this, it's not a true free market. And unfortunately, you don't get true clearing prices, yeah. you get some distortions, and then this is one of them. It's, it's a battle every year. I mean, we've seen yeah. things whereby uh, a recall examination included your x-rays, your scaling and cleaning, and your um, examination by the dentist years ago. Every year. Every year. Now it's unbundled. You see the hygienist. That's one code. Yeah. You do the x-rays, that's a different code. So now by unbundling it, what used to be $108 now may be, depending which province you're in, could be $158. Yeah, I think we've all experienced this as subjects of going in and getting this done. So the, I, I bite my tongue when yeah. I see it sometimes. The one thing I will like, say is that if you as an employee, now as the end user, go to the dentist and you walk out there with a claim form in your hand yeah. put it, or, or an explanation of benefits, an EOB from the receptionist that, and you look at it and it says that you had six units of scaling, for example. Yeah. Okay. Think to yourself, were you in the chair for an hour and a half? Well, let's, let's discuss because that. That's what is a unit of scaling? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So were you in there for deep scaling for an hour and a half? Yeah. Mm, then you question the dentist. Yeah. Or you see it's three uh, fillings, three fillings, yeah. MOD, there's different codes. I'm not expecting everyone to be up on the codes, but if you look at it and think, oh, I was only in the chair for an hour. Yeah. One of my clients How is a lawyer in insurance fraud. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's always an interesting conversation. It, so, <laughs> so, but it behooves us as the end user, as the consumer, to question the claim, question what's being done. Absolutely. We don't. We're scared to ask questions of our doctors, of our dentists, and we should ask those questions. Substantiate the bill. If you go to a restaurant, you check the bill before you pay. Oh, pay it with your credit card. And, again, and if it's wrong, oh, I didn't have this hors d'oeuvre. Yeah. Take it off yeah, the bill. You know, this goes back again. It's it's an indirect payer system. We have something called moral hazard, essentially, uh, which basically means that you know you consume the, for lack of a better term, if you're not the one paying for it, you do not care about the risk anymore. But so, at the end of the day, you are paying because if the premiums go up, this even is if the, the employer is paying the yeah. premium, yeah. there's less money for yeah. you to have a salary and, increase next year. And it's interesting because in very small groups, when I've gone and set these up, like I, you know, I said, you know, typically 
there'll be a bunch of partners or something like that, maybe three, four, five. And the conversation is had like, listen, guys, this is not a blank check. If you guys want to keep this beyond the first 18 months, you got to respect it and use it when necessary and make sure you're you're paying for what you should be. Not just every fancy, you know, you, no, none, of you need, none of you need a gold tooth anytime soon, right? <laughs> so let's move on to the health benefit, which I will argue is the second most important benefit, even though everybody thinks dental is so important. So this this may, this entails a lot of different sub benefits when we break it yes. down, right? So extended healthcare. Let's talk about the big one, pharmaceuticals. That by far is the biggest portion. If you look at a graph, if you were to graph the spend on any health plan, we normally expect to see the drug portion of around about 80% of the total expenditures on a group plan Yep. for the health portion. 80%. Up to 80%, which is huge. And what you will then also find is that out of those medications being used, only about 20 to 30% of them now Mm -hmm. are the um, the acetaminophens, the uh, yeah, the routine stuff is the tiny. Routine stuff. It's now the largest dollar amount is the biologics. These yeah. are the big blockbuster of drugs, which are sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year, but they only benefit twenty percent of the population. And let's let's go back a step here. So the important thing for employers to know is that they're not getting hit with this full sixty thousand. This is being shared amongst all the premiums you're putting in for the entire group, and then beyond a certain threshold, it basically is applied to the pool of other businesses that you are in there with. So you're you're helping carry. This is all about risk sharing, right? Yes. That's what insurance is. So that risk is being shared throughout the entire group. But it's yeah. I mean, I some of these I've heard VCs talk about like how the price these things, and I wanted to punch them in the face when I heard their their line of thinking. But these things are only going to get more expensive, and you know, you talk about only benefiting 20 you know there's some of these things being developed that only benefit one yeah right 100%. Like it's, it's, and that's the whole issue with the national pharmacare you've got some blockbuster drugs that may only benefit one or two percent of the population is if we the, don't pool together and buy is the that pharmacare yeah. system going to be paying those that would be putting three million dollars for example to cover three employ three people versus that three million going to cover a lot yeah. more people for a less for a lesser I mean, disease but, but let's just say you know we switched that from three people let's just say it's 300 right it's far more cost effective for the single buyer that would be the country to negotiate down the rate the with the insurance. Like this is why we pay less for drugs in this country in general because we have fewer we have fewer buyers, right? Yeah. Whereas in the states, like the same medication you would buy here for you know, can sell for ten x what it does elsewhere, and it's been pointed out in sub- several subcommittee meetings. So and so yeah, so pooling together does have it's like Costco. The insurance companies have, re- have realized over the years that the increase in medications are going up. Um, <laughs> Same direction they're heading. Uh, going up. And, and also, we're an aging population. So the usage is going up. Yep. Not just the cost. It's, the, it's utilization. As we get older, we use mm-hmm. more medication. So to offset that, I mean, that, that affects premiums. Absolutely. Because it's dollars in, dollars out, plus their expenses. That's just like the dental. The health drugs is the same thing. It's a cash benefit, cash flow benefit. And as I mentioned earlier on, when you get the renewal, they're not trying to recover what they lost. They're trying to project in the next 12 months that yeah. they won't lose it again. So, Which is why those trend lines are always up on the right. drug, on drug so side. So what the carriers have done is they will take you and your plan, and you've got 100 employees, and they'll say, okay, we're going to put in what's called a pooling charge or a stop loss. They use the word stop loss. There's all yeah. different acronyms they use. But again, insurance on the insurance. Exactly. So what they were saying is, okay, Jason, for your company, we'll have a stop loss of $15,000. So that means... When any employee claims above $15,000 in a year, only the first 15000 gets attributable to your, your experience. The balance goes to the pool. So if an employee claims $30,000, only 15000 goes in your experience. The other 15000 is forgiven from your, your rates and is charged back to the pool. That was fine for many, many years until these blockbuster drugs came out. Yeah, because then it started blowing out. You know, the, the stop loss was maybe used rarely. Now it's being used much more, more frequently. frequently. So therefore, it's, you know, that the money's got to come from somewhere. So what they've done now is they've, they've banded together the top 
24, 25 insurance companies through, through Clear, and they've put together what's called the EP3. By the way, we're going to include in the show notes a link to a document that, that Keith has basically given us that gives us, it's a cheat sheet on all these terms that basically agency use so that you can you can basically have some idea of where we're coming from on some of this terminology. Yeah. So you, you'll hear that what's called a, an EP3 certification yep. on a group plan. That's for fully insured plans. And what the major insurers have done is they band together and they've set up what's called Simplicity a Super Pool. And that is to protect the insurance company from going broke. From yep. high claims. So let's take an so example. So insurance on the insurance on the insurance. insurance. It's like so now, we're, now insurance cubed. Yeah. Okay. So for example, <laughs> so, so, so if I claim $60,000, okay, as an employee, the first 15000 goes to my employer's experience. So he gets a rate increase based on that. The second 15000 goes to the pool. Next year, I claim another 60000 Okay. The same thing. The third year, if I claim 60000 I can now attribute that claim to the super pool. So the insurance company is not on the hook for the full amount. They're only on the hook for, I can't remember the exact percentage of it. So they're reinsuring themselves. Yeah. So they're making sure that these things are going to be around for a and long time. The reason is not because my claim of 60,000 is going to make them go broke. But when you look at the population, if they get 100,000 people at that, it's yeah. going to be- a And if you're the unlucky company that has several of these, you're going to be in worst case. So again, this is one of those areas where that's how the insurance company is keeping things under control from their angle, which is good. So they're not just passing along 100% of usage to you guys. Basically, they're, they're making sure that they're pulling risk themselves. So from the employer's standpoint, this is another area where coinsurance and deductibles apply as well, right? So what are you most commonly seeing? Is it still the 80% of we, reimbursement? We still see 80 is the most common. We see some plans at 75. Usually we will see an 80, we'll see 100% reimbursement on things like uh, paramedicals. Yes. Right? So Chiropractor, paramedicals, chiropractors, yeah. But they have a, an annual limit, usually $500 yeah. per year per person. Yeah. And everybody loves to get their massages done. Yes. One, one, do. one, one tip for you employers, do not have a massage therapist day where they come into the office. Like you're just guaranteeing a, a bad renewal if that's the case. I had to tell some people to stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, 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 being in business for over 35 years, and we have a few anecdotes. I mean, one of them I can I can say is that we audit the claims of our clients every year. Yeah. Not the individual names. We don't get the no, but the in general but group. in general the yeah. group. And we identified a, a few things. One thing we identified was one client that there was an influx of tens machines. These Doctor Ho yeah. units. We couldn't figure out why. So we go back to the employer at the renewal time as we're going through the, the, the claims. Here's what we've analyzed. The increases, but it's attributable to this huge amount, dollar amount. Like, it's crazy. What happened? Oh, we had a, a health fair. We called in the chiropractor. Yeah. And he said that these TENS machines were covered under the plan. So everybody got one. They are. But again, this is the problem <laughs> when people think it's free money, right? Like, and I had a group where basically they had a massage therapist in every Thursday. And I first renewal came up. I'm like, you have a what now? Okay. So tell them never to come back. Because like, here's the thing. This is meant for people who need it. If you basically need routine massage because because whatever, you're you're in a stress position, posture, you've had an injury, whatever it is, you're going to seek that out. And that's what it's there for. It's not meant to be there for, oh, this is convenient and it's kind of nice, right? So I'm going to totally do this, right? And so like, let the people who basically need that benefit utilize that benefit. Don't try to come in and sell it to everybody because again, it's not free money. It's not free. And that's the, people don't realize, if you read the booklet, your employee booklet, it will say medically necessary. Absolutely. So the insurance but company could have to come, yeah. come back and say, oh, 15 TENS machines were sold to your employees from this Dr. Jane, yeah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Out of 30 employees were of this Were they company. medically necessary? Let's see. Now yeah. they can then go, I don't know whether they've done that, but they have the right to come back right and, and charge it back to you. And yeah, so I mean, it's important that, you know, again, we use these things appropriately to contain Is it fraud? Cost. Is it benefits fraud? Well, uh, we see stuff about <laughs> benefits fraud more and more in the news these days, right? So all said and done, so we're looking at like, the big ones, drugs. We also talked about paramedicals. I see some people get, uh, some employers get annoyed thinking, oh, it's just massage or whatever. Like, no, this is stuff for, this is stuff, a lot of stuff in there, chiropractic, orthotics. 
there, there are things yeah, that speech, speech, speech therapy, therapist like that um, is important. social worker, psychiatrist, psychologist, oh yeah. uh, acupuncturist. I can't even say that word properly. Acupuncturist. <laughs> yeah. It, it, like these things, these things are important to those who basically have those conditions. So, Natu naturopath yeah. is another one. Alternate medicine. Yeah. And we find the millennials go a lot more for that because rather than taking a drug, yeah. they would sooner go to a naturopath or they would sooner go for, to physiotherapy rather than... Uh, well, they should fix a problem. But anyway, the point is, is that, uh, yeah, so physiotherapy, I do condone. Naturopath will bite my tongue. Anyway, so, <laughs> so let's move on. Also, one last thing in there, also hospital visits are in there, right? Hospital it's visits. nice to know that... Here's the thing with hospital. Semi, it's actually semi-private coverage. By or default, private, or, or, times, private, yeah. or private coverage, okay? There's a premium for that. The question is, as far as I understand it, if the doctor recommends that you as a patient require private or semi-private room, oh, it pays for it. So really you're now only covering semi-private or private for those that are deciding to have it. Yeah. And usually it's for pregnancy. If you can even get a room in Ontario. In fairness, I've seen the four to a room systems. I'm just like, yeah, or six to a room systems. I'm like, there's a lot going on here. I would never be able to sleep. And now I value semi-private and private more. If you can get the rooms. If you can get the rooms. If you can get the rooms. Well, and you know, we think about, yeah, we can get into the good and bad of that. So one of the things that's separate from this, but kind of, an, well, part of it and an adjunct is travel. So there isn't a year that goes by where I don't see something on the news about someone saying no to travel insurance when they bought the trip to the Dominican and then they get injured and then there's got to be a GoFundMe campaign to get them the, back to Canada, okay? So first off, always have travel insurance, even when traveling between provinces, okay? Because we have provincial health care. You go to another province and you incur a bunch of costs that are not covered because you're non-resident of that province, they're gonna whack you with it. There was a case a couple of years ago with an air ambulance where they had to move a woman uh, because of a high-risk pregnancy. It was a $160,000 bill. She was in Ontario visiting from Alberta. Once the news got involved, they split the bill, but they were gonna stick her with a $160,000 bill. You go shopping in Buffalo for the day, you're traveling out of country. So what's the conventional limits we see on these things in, uh, in the well, place? Well, we used to be out of, plans used to be a million, two million lifetime, and they would usually be back then up to 180 days out of the country. Well, the carriers got wise that you've got the executive who's now taking four months in Florida, yeah, technically no not working. So now most plans now are 30 or 60 day trips out of the country, Yeah, which is even- So they come back for a couple of days and then go, go back. back again, yeah. Now, one yeah. important thing to note here. So first off, it's important that everybody's got this. So group plans, great for providing because that's where most people get it from. So if you have this on your group plan, also do not check yet. You're the only person who's allowed to check to not check yes to the travel insurance on the purchase. So one of the things that people aren't aware of and you need to be careful of is that there's a period of stability required before you go, right? And that's another thing I see in the news where someone will like, oh, I had this, but then you know I had I had surgery on the Tuesday and then I went to the I went to the Caribbean the next day. And oh, lo and behold, there was a complication. Right, that's true. But with group with group plans, usually because there is no health requirement on the group as a whole, usually you'll see wording such as not traveling against the advice of your doctor, unforeseen, medically unforeseen yeah. emergency. Right. Yeah. So, for example, so from that point of view, so whereas if you get the individual products, um, I won't name any carriers, but they would actually have a, a clause in the saying if you have seen a doctor for this disease or this. Uh, um, thing in the last 30 days or whatever you're considering and it's much more much more restrictive but the group plans are not quite as restrictive around doesn't mean they don't have a pre-ex yeah, you still you still have to basically be stable before you travel not exactly but you can't but you yeah. know you're not going to have that question to qualify in the yeah. first place and, I, and I, I would say to anybody as a caution when you're booking online with nothing against air canada or, or WestJet or any of the airlines they always come up with that that window do you want travel insurance you check yes and they settle the policy yeah. the problem or talk there to is, your advisor and the make sure they the, have one that's better. The problem there with that policy type of policy you're buying, even or any of these ones which are online, is that they're not underwriting you. You get underwritten at time of claim. 
Mm-hmm. So you think you've got coverage because you purchased it, but when the claim comes through, yeah. that's when they delve into your to your. There are history. a couple of ones sold through agents that you can't like we do that basically are underwritten. The other one I will say too is the number of times people say I have it through my credit card. Same, same, same as the ones yeah. you, you, you buy online. Well, the best thing for your travel insurance, if you're not covered under your group plan, contact a company like ours or, or an individual agent yeah. who will actually underwrite you. The premium may be higher, but you know exactly oh, your yeah. coverage. We've had got coverage for someone who had a heart attack 30 days prior. Yeah. And we got them coverage. Going back to the credit card, one last thing to be a beat up on there. And if you're an employer listening to this and saying, oh, I have it through my credit card, here's the reality of it. You ever read the terms of your credit card? I've seen travel card, quote unquote, travel cards that had travel insurance totally a grand total benefit of, guess what? $25,000. I've seen them lower to $5,000, but a travel card one time, $25,000. $25,000 in the US won't even get you to the hospital. Like it's just, it's astonishing that, that they had the audacity to market as such. So know that, you know, typically when we do these plans, we see either no mention of a cap, but reasonable and customary amounts being acceptable or lifetime caps in the one to two to three, $4 million range, right? And anyone who's looked at the cost of medical care in places like the US understands why. So going back over the plans, okay, there's a couple of mandatory benefits, which were life and ADD. Everything else is kind of basically optional, but of course you're going to want to do at least, health is pretty much the biggest reason employers put this in place. The rest of it comes out there. There's a couple other smaller additional benefits that are that are valuable and nice to have. One of them is an employee assistance program. So what, let's talk about what that is. Okay, employee assistance programs are, are well, I won't say they're fairly new. They're one of those things which are in the background. You really don't know what the ROE is. Yeah. I mean, they say for every 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 three dollars you invest, you get five dollars back at the end of the end of the day. An employee assistance program would be a hotline, a one eight hundred number. I'm feeling depressed. I don't know where to turn. I can yep. call the eight hundred number. They would do some form of an intake, and then maybe recommend a therapist to, for me to go see or a course of action. Or it could be um, smoking cessation, smoking cessation treatment. Or it could be I've got an elderly parent and I can't go to work because I'm so stressed out. It's causing me issues or whatever. They can guide me through to an elder care program, yeah. things like that. So these things are more um, preventative, measures. preventative yeah. measures, and they're not expensive. You, for an employer to put a, an EAP in anywhere from depending whether you go on a standalone product or one with an insurance company that's built into one of their yeah. health plans anywhere from two dollars to five dollars per month per employee yeah, I, I think they're valuable i mean i have the number of times i've had people who needed to some sort of psychological counseling just because of whatever was going on in their lives at the time and being able to say okay look you know first off you have navigation services through the aap at work and in addition to that you also have x number of hours paid for through this program. So do not hesitate to use it. There's no, you know, when you take out the cost factor and you take out the, I don't know where to go, it becomes incredibly valuable. Well, the, off- the, the offset here is, is the thinking is that if you can get somebody to use an EAP, you've got someone who's coming yeah. into work every Monday yeah. with a hangover. After four months, you have to, maybe there's a problem on a Sunday night, they're drinking too much. Yeah. And if the supervisor can get them to go to the EAP, alleviates that, that might, yeah. might prevent claims. It will, may prevent health claims yeah. and also a disability claim down the road. Yeah. So that's where they come up with this idea of you put $3 in, you get yeah. $5 back on exactly. your Exactly, workplace productivity and basically just your ability to attend. You get, you, you get yeah. more to, to you get away from this presenteeism. Absolutely. I'm showing up for work, but I'm not really working because it's a background issue. <laughs> yes, it is. So another you know newer, nicer to have is uh, second opinion services. Yes. So let's describe what those do. Okay, second opinion services are even an embellishment on an EAP in that there's various, they take various forms, but essentially if I go to the doctor and I get a diagnosis of say, I'll use cancer for example, and he refers me to an oncologist and I've now got a three month wait for an oncologist. I can then go to the second opinion provider and they will then assign a nurse to me who will then 
get all of my records from my existing doctor, go through that, and usually they send it off to one of their centers of influence. Depending on the provider, it could be the Mayo Clinic, could be the Cleveland Clinic, yeah. could be Sloan Kettering. But typically uh, one of the top-ranked individuals. Right, exactly. I mean, there's one company specifically that, that actually surveys like everybody in every specialty field and says, if you can, if you have to had that specific thing that you are, you know, the specialist at, you know, open heart surgery, if there's one doctor that you would put your life in the hands of, who would it be? And they basically rank him based on that. And then the person who wins that poll ends up getting all that case. Exactly. Work. So they yeah. send all the case files to that yeah. doctor yeah. who may have seen your case. Yeah. 60, 60, 70,000 times yeah. in, in his lifetime, or his yeah. clinic may have done. So you're getting a but second opinion from literally the probably the, the biggest expert in the field. In that field, exactly. Yeah. And then they would come back and say, well, your oncologist was recommending that you do this. However, we know that you know this is what's needed. Oh, some of the crazy cases they have from like people being diagnosed with cancer and it was just an acute allergy or Parkinson's and it was just a nerve issue in the neck that could be recommended with surgery. Like it's some of the, the stuff that they've had in the past, I tell you. We always hear, you should always get a second opinion. Typically that means going to see another doctor but frankly if i can get literally a second opinion from them from the, from from the, the biggest best. authority in the in the world i'm getting it yeah, i mean we have we have one uh, second opinion provider that provider that we deal with whereby if you can't get the opinion or referral i think it's within 30 days mm -hmm. in ontario they will pay to get you to the next province to get the to get the really approval. wow yeah. fantastic yeah. so and that's also a very nominal cost right we're talking a couple of dollars again five six bucks a month per employee again there's always buy-ups if they want to buy up the actual insurance to actually pay to go to the mayo clinic after the fact yeah you can buy insurance for that Fair enough. it's it's like anything right you start with the base yeah but some of them are very it, again it depends not for everybody it depends on your stage in life oh no no these things are not they're, they're, those are i mean we have a great system in this country and frankly no one has to worry about going bankrupt for getting sick. But for those who want alternatives outside of what we offer, maybe faster service, more, there's options. And there's there's policies that'll pay for that. Well, everybody likes to jump the line. We all think we're special. Don't we all? Uh, and in uh, Canada, we can't jump the line like they can in the US. Yeah, well, we'll talk right. about that later. Um. Uh, <laughs> so the next one I want to talk about is health spending accounts. Yes. So this is not really so much of a benefit. This is something that gives client, gives employees discretion. So Tell me about it. Okay, well, there's, there's, there's two schools of thought here. We've had employers come to us and say they want to put a spending account in. A spending account is a, a, a bank of money that you put aside for an employee to spend how they wish on benefits up to a certain level. So, for example, I might say, okay, um, I'm going to give every employee $2,000 a year to spend on health care as they see fit. There's certain rules around it under Revenue Canada. For yeah, not everything main, qualifies. Right. It has to be items that will generate a credit, medical credit, yeah. income tax. Like, for example, like vitamins are the big ones excluded from- Over-the-counter like, yeah. over medication, yeah. drugs will not be covered. And also there has to be an insurance element yes. in there. So you think, well, hang on a second. If this is money the employer is giving to me, in order for it to remain tax-free to me as an employee, it has to be an insurance element. How do we get that? The definition of the insurance element is, is risk. So if I say to you, Jason, I'm going to give you $2,000 a year to spend on healthcare as you wish, the risk is that if you don't have $2,000 worth of expenses, you don't you get lose, the money. You lose the $2,000. Yeah. Or the other risk is, is that you have $4,000 of expenses can only clean back to. Yeah. So there's the risk. Yeah. So that handles covers off the risk factor. And to ease that as well, what Revenue Canada allows you to do is that if I give you $2,000 a year to spend on healthcare and you spend $2,000, no, sorry, you spend $4,000, you can carry forward the $2,000 that you couldn't claim. Yeah, into the following year. Into the next year. Up to one year. It, up to one year. And the same with the money. If I've spent only $1,500 out of my $2,000, I have 500 left, I can carry that forward to next year, but only for one year. If I don't use it, I lose it. So there's the risk element. Yeah. If you do that, 
then you can set it up. But to an employee standpoint, basically it's discretionary money that can be used to say, cover off coinsurance, deductibles, whatever it might be. Or sometimes I see it just replacing outright benefits. I've seen it replace dental benefits. I've seen it replace paramedical benefits. It's not necessarily, it's not an apples to apples comparison. Apples comparison, no. Because what? yeah, I mean, if you, once, you, once you use it, it's like, well, that's the end of that. Well, here's the thing. We've had employers come to us and say, we want to put a spending account. Everyone's talking about a spending account. We want to put one in. Can we cut out? The dental plan. I use a spending account. Okay, everyone's two thousand dollars. I said, "Oh, sure, you can do that." That's fine, but said, the dental plan covers more than two thousand. I said, "Here's the thing: yeah. you have a family of four people, each with fifteen hundred dollars each. That's six thousand a year on dental. If you only put a two thousand dollars spending account in, you yeah, just cut that employee's absolutely. benefits. So we'd say a spending account is not a replacement for; it's an add-on. It's a perk. It's a bonus. So, and that's that's a health spending account. Now, what we see starting to see is some providers provide spending accounts for basically non-health related well, business. A wellness account. A wellness account, right? So, you know, you want to cover wellness related things. Things such as your gym membership, or you know, you've run basically other other things. Hockey sticks, golf Hockey shoes, sticks. yeah, you know, anything related yoga to wellness. Classes, anything. Dog walking, I've seen done. At the end of the day, wellness is an interesting term used for that, but that people don't realize that is a taxable benefit to them. So really, it's not much better than the employer paying them more cash, but it's got this nice little stigma of like, oh, my employer is paying for my gym membership. Exactly, my it's the it's is, the optics. Yeah, it's optics. It's optics I mean, right? like literally, if you explain, you know, if I. I've had people come to me and say, oh yeah, it's great, they pay for less. I'm like, well, let me explain how this works to you. And they're like, oh, so they could just pay me more money? Yeah, basically. It, it go, it but now as, you can only spend it on this. It goes, <laughs> this as, sort a ta- of stuff. goes as a taxable benefit. But it, it is good though, because it can encourage certain actions, right? It encourages, oh, I can only spend this on my gym and recreation. Like, because you can limit the type of things. You can that, limit, yeah. yeah. Some companies do, some companies don't. Yeah, right? so I mean, you if you limit it. to recreation solely, then you're helping, you know, basically saying, get, if you're if you're gonna live an active lifestyle, I'm gonna support that active lifestyle. And the difference is too, by putting it into a spending account, you're not actually physically giving the employee an increase in pay. Nope. You're giving them an allotment of money to yeah. spend. Again, the same thing, if he doesn't spend it, you, you don't pay for it. You haven't paid yeah. for it. And just one, one, one <clears throat> caveat with the spending account, the, the health spending account, we can do structured or unstructured. Yeah. Structured means that we will cover only certain items out of that yeah. account. So for example, our plan does not have vision care. So we can say, okay, you well, can use so it. We'll talk about vision in a second. So, uh, so you can say you can use it for vision care or you can only use it for to top up your dental, but you can't use it to go to the chiropractor six more times. Yeah. So vision is typically embedded in the health, uh, health expense, sorry, health benefit. And I too hate vision because I know it's a profit center. Right? So what are we typically looking at in terms of benefit versus cost? Okay, so so vision care, most plans will cover an eye exam once every two years. Yes. Up to a reasonable customer, which I think is about $85 in, in Ontario. But then when it comes to glasses. If you want the glasses and the contacts, that is a separate benefit. And they call it vision care. And usually it's usually structured that would be $150 to $200 every two years. But meanwhile, well, every year for children under 18. Yeah. But what's it costing the actual employer? So the premium could be six, seven dollars a month per family. And bearing in mind, you can only claim once every two years. So it's cyclical. So what happens is the premiums are going to show that every year you're going to get an increase. Yeah. Because again, it's dollars in, dollars out. Quite often the employer is better off to self-insure that. Exactly. That portion. Yeah. It's I've said that for years is that yeah, it's nice they pay for your glass. You want to pay for the glasses, but you're better off just giving them the money. And quite quite frankly, uh, what glasses can you buy for two hundred dollars every uh, two years? Clearly or even contacts.ca. Con- or even, or uh, <laughs> but even contact lenses will cost you a hundred well, Don't get me started on the on the on the monopoly that is Luxotica <laughs> and how this actually exists in this world. It's astonishing. Uh, but yes, this is why I shop at Clearly or what's yeah. the other one? It's uh, per, uh Worley Parker. Okay, so we talked about traditional, all the different benefits, and that's fantastic. One of the things we want to talk about is kind of the concept of almost like 
acting as the insurance company yourself to some degree. And that's this is called something called an ASO or administrative services Correct. only plan. So when we think about it, the money goes to an insurance company for all your employees. They pay money out of the benefits out of that amount and they hope to hold on to a certain amount of it and they have a stop loss ratio on top or sorry, stop loss insurance in case things get ugly. Correct. The employer has the option of doing the same thing, right? So let's talk about what that looks like, what the benefits are. Usually we're talking self-insurance is usually only on health or dental. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you um, can't do that with life. You don't want to self-insure life insurance because, <laughs> disability, because my God, one no. claim would devastate you. Okay? Well, disability claims. <laughs> and also there's, there's a threshold. I mean, there are companies out there that would do uh, self-insurance for companies as low as nine or 10 lives. And, mm -hmm. I, and for me, it doesn't make any sense. You're better off to say fully insured. Self-insurance essentially is saying, okay, let's look at the premium that an insurance company wants to charge us for the year for health and dental. Say it's $300,000. We say, fine, okay, what are expected claims based on our population? So we go back and look at the history of your claims for the last five years. And based on the current trends and the, the inflation factors, we say, okay, your claims for the current year projecting forward are going to be 230000 Yep. So 70,000 wiggle room. We got 70,000 left. So we say, okay, for $70,000, can we purchase the service of an administrator? To process and pay those claims because and you can't tax. do that as an employer as because an employer, of violation of privacy. Exactly. I so. see that happen several times where people are like, "What if I just give them money in exchange every time they bring me a receipt?" I'm like, "Well, you just broke the law." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, so you would hire a company. One of our companies does this, where we actually administer and pay the claim. So, just like an insurance company, but instead of giving the money to the insurance company every year, you're putting it into a trust account. And every month, so the employees send in their claims, just like they would to an insurance company. Process it the same with a drug card, the same way. The claim will come into our office or a company like ours. We then pay the claim out of your trust account and deduct all the expenses and taxes from that. At the end of the year, you do a reconciliation. So if you had 300000 in the trust account, but only 380 came out, yep. claims and expenses, you as the employer are better off by $20,000. Yep. And the you don't make that contribution the next year. Exactly. The caveat is if the claims are more than projected, yep. you've now got to pony up the money. But the risk. there is such a thing as stop loss we can insurance. Put, we can put stop loss in there. Again, stop loss is the same as insurance company, but it's usually based on a per employee. So an employee, say, claims 15000 but the stop loss is twenty. Only 5000 gets paid by the stop loss insurance company. So yeah, so they're not insuring the pool. They're insuring each individual employee. In, in, exactly, up to, up to, up to a, a specific limit. But nevertheless, I mean, it still protects you from the massive claims from... So yeah, so if, if everybody uses the basic benefits up to the threshold of the stop loss to a greater degree than expected, then yeah, you're on the hook for that, right? right. Now that being said, I mean, that's, again, this is how insurance companies work, but the reality is, is that if your workforce is relatively stable and you have a large enough population that those things even out, then you're okay to do that with very little risk. Yeah, there's, there are a few, there's a few caveats. One of the caveats is that there are fewer and fewer stop loss providers. That is a known to, problem. Willing yeah. to insure a standalone self-insured plan. When the insurance companies do a, do a self-insured plan, they're using their own stop loss. They're their own insurer. So by going to a third party, you've now got to find a stop loss provider. We yeah. have providers in, in, in place that we can use, but they drop in and out of the We were industry. down to like one at one point, weren't we? We would, we're back up to about three now. The problem, <laughs> is, the problem is, as they incur claims at the stop loss level, their fees go up, right? Their rates been, go up. It was, it was so that, so that throws the whole mechanics and the estimates out, yeah. of, out of the window. But it's still, here's the thing. It's not perfect, but no. it still could be a cost-saving measure for, for employers where it's the right fit. The other major issue is, is this, we talked about the EP3 protection yeah. in the beginning. Yes. That does not apply to a self-insured Correct. It only applies to fully insured because the insurance companies have the risk. Which is a risk that people don't understand. And frankly, if you're not in the industry, nor should you actually understand it, but you're not getting an apples to apples comparison. comparison. Exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah. So the problem is now if, if we put a self-insurance plan in and you're going fine for three years, you're saving 10000 a year or whatever, whatever the percentage might be, and in the fourth year, your claims go through the roof. You say, you know what, Keith, I want to go back to fully insured. Mm-hmm. I can't fool my, my workforce has changed. My demographics yep. have changed. I've got older employees. My claims are going higher. I can't find stop loss anymore. I want to go back to fully insured. The insurance company is going to say, hmm, okay, where's the EP3 certificate? I don't have one. We don't have one because we don't qualify. Yep. Now what happens? They will rate you as a, as a virgin new group. Yep. And what will happen is at the six-month mark, they will take a look at all the claims. And anybody that has a, a claim for a medication that is ongoing, expected to be over 50000 a year, yep. they exclude them from the, yep. from, from so the group. So guess who's on the hook for that? So now you're on the hook for those employees directly. Yeah. So, so it's not without risk. ASO is good for the large, in my eyes, in my opinion, is good for the, yeah. the the companies with a thousand, two, three, four thousand employees where they can mitigate the risk. At the smaller level, I don't personally don't agree with with, with yeah. The I mean, it's, it's, here's the thing: those drugs are not an everyday occurrence, but when they happen, They're again, big. this is this is an employer risk, right? It's like an you want risk. You, you even have. I was at a conference recently, and and someone got up talking about how he was doing it for his, his groups as small as three. And I like the, I like to respect the guy, but I don't think this is something that they thought out quite the way they should have, because frankly, if it's a three-person group, and let's say one member is not family, or two members aren't family, and the one person gets on the hook for, like you said, fifty thousand a year in, in insurance claims. That's you're on the hook, right? That's that's pretty rough. So, I mean, this is of course something that's been used by large companies like the banks and whatever for internally for years, right? Because they're large enough they can pull they can, the risk. They can pull the risk. So we, we've had yeah, groups, uh, you know, of, of 30, 40, 50 lives on it, good. and we kind of shut it down. That once EP three came in to us, it didn't make prudent sense yep. to put the employer at that kind of risk. Yeah. Well, good on you for being stewardly in that regard. Uh, so yeah. So. Before we close up, any design tips? I mean, like any tips for cost containment? To me, it's all about risk sharing. When I talk to clients about uh, people about this and spending money on on what is necessary, right? Well, not, yeah. not the not the stuff that's more fancy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. for us, I mean, there's still a few benefits we didn't we didn't touch on group RRSPs, profit sharing plans, well, retirement that's, those plans. Those are these the retirement which, savings is which, another conversation. I'm bringing someone else in for my friend. You Sorry, know, the, the, you, you, got, you got the insurance, okay? You got the um, risk side. But, yeah, but there's so many things that you can add into. And as far as cost containment, one of the biggest things that we like to do is educate the employees, hold lunch and learns with the employees. Yep. Tell them what the benefits cost. Yep. They have no idea how much you it as the employer is astonishing. Are paying. And here's a tip for employers. Okay. One of the things that we do here is when we do, when we do their salary renegotiation every year, or basically give them their increase, we actually break down the total expense to the company on one sheet of paper. It says, okay, yeah, here's your salary. Here's our end of CPP, our end of EI, your cost of your benefits, anything else we do, and things where they're like kind of perks, we put them down as, you know, intangible benefits, whatever, right? I'll tell you, it's a very different conversation when they think, oh, I'm making 50 grand, you guys should be paying me more, to, oh, wait a sec, you're paying me 50 grand, but with everything else, it's like $58,000? Really? Like, okay, so... I'm technically costing you more than you than I thought, right? So it's a very different conversation come uh, come the time. But and it's the number of people I've met who've left their employer and said, "Yeah, I want to replace my benefits," and I give them the quote, and they're like, "Are you out of your mind? You're crazy. You're trying to catch me." I'm like, "No, no, this is what your employer was paying roughly." Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's very important. I, I believe you have to educate the employees because they're the consumer. They need to know what you're paying for and how to use it. I mean, okay. we, we teach the employees how to look for fraud themselves and their providers. I'm not yeah. saying every dentist and every pharmacy is, is fraudulent. There are bad actors but out they're, there. They're, you know, you can go to some pharmacies uh, where the markup is much higher or the script fee is much higher. So why would you do that? Because that all affects the plan. We had one client many, many years ago was a nursing home and their physiotherapy and massage therapy was unlimited. And you can guess they're all nurses. So oh, they're wow. going for massage and physiotherapy. It was a union plan. Most plans at the time, OHIP covered 
physiotherapy. Yeah. You had to wait to get into a clinic. So we recommended to the union and to the employer, in order to contain costs, limit the physiotherapy to 500 mm-hmm. and let the, the employee go to OHIP. They use the 500 by waiting for the OHIP clinic and then... Yeah, it's, it's medically necessary. That would have saved that plan. I'm trying to think of the numbers back then. I think it was something like $40,000 a year. Listen, the union fought back. Right? <laughs> union said no way. They would not do it. We met with the union three times. They wouldn't budge on it. That nursing home is out of business. Because well, the, that saving would have been, they could have hired another nurse. No that savings. It was jobs. They said, union said no. Well, that's, uh, thankfully, not everyone's a union shop. We're not all so, using that short So you have to. So I think it's important to educate your employees on what yeah. they're covered for and how to use it wisely. Yeah. And that's, and the, that's the reason you have the benefit and program. They, they, and making sure that they don't they understand enough so they don't treat it like a blank check. Like, that's that's a frustrating thing. Perfect. So uh, where can people find you, Keith? Because now we're wrapping up. What, uh, what's If they want to talk to Keith Foote. Okay, well, that's, that's a good one. We have a website. It's ralphmoss.ca, mm-hmm. R-A-L-P-H-M-O-S-S.ca. That's our consi- consulting side. Been around since 1976. And our administration company is Automated Administration, which is A-A-S-I-N-C.ca. Mm-hmm. And that's been around since 1985. And there will be links in the show notes and the transcripts, so people will be able to find it. So thank you very much for taking the time. Thanks, Jason. Anything else, just give me a call. Will do. So that was my interview with Keith Foote of Ralph Moss Insurance. I've been working with them for several years and I highly recommend them. Uh, Although if you want to talk to me about your benefits, I'm also here as well. So uh, as always, this is Jason Pereira and this has been the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. For more episodes, go to jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.